0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 16, and the two verses that we have there that the Lord has brought us to, which set our theme when we are preaching expositorily through the Bible. The Lord sets the subjects, and so He has set the subject for us to consider at this time. And no matter what that subject is, I hope that we from Pulpit NPU address it with great enthusiasm and passion. Right whether it be the first two words of chapter 16 that I commend, that we address them passionately and thoroughly, or whether it be verses 17 and 18. I read these two verses to you again this morning. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, Contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Amen and amen. Amen. As we enter this study of these two verses... This short and weighty section of Romans, I hope that you're fully aware of the importance of it in our generation to mark and avoid those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the apostolic, Pauline, scriptural doctrine that we've been taught. This sacred and solemn trust that's been given to us should challenge you and excite you that God has chosen you for this generation to see if you'll be faithful. As Charlie just mentioned, our faithfulness will not be at the stake. Our faithfulness will be in holding to the Word of God against popular, public, and Christian opinion all around us. This is an important subject given the importance of truth because God is seeking those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Or the Lord Jesus Christ would say of them, Ye know not what ye worship, like He said of the woman of Samaria even though they thought that they were doing something very noble aping the Jews' religion it was unacceptable to God and in fact it was the worshipping of devils which Jesus didn't unload on her entirely in that passage but Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because they were choosing worship contrary to God's ordained worship the latter times would include seducing spirits and doctrines of devils coming the way of Christians the perilous times are here so attacks on truth are varied and they're increasing. If we are close to the little season of Satan, which we must be, both by no other timetables to run in the New Testament or Old Testament, all the prophecies that are of a dated nature are fulfilled, and we see the deception worldwide, even among Christians, so widespread and so contrary to sound doctrine, we can know that deceptive Christianity is going to increase in that little season of the devil making his last attempt against the camp of the saints. Our purpose as a church is to support and defend the truth. We're the pillar and ground of it. We want to earnestly contend for it. I hope for those of you that read the definitions of earnest and contend yesterday that you know that that means passionate fighting. Those are the choice of words that God gave us. Earnestly contend. Seriously, gravely, passionately. Strive and fight for the gospel's sake against all of the deception. Never before have so many religious liars been able to get right next to you. Never before can they get so close to us because of the internet, the mass forms of media and so forth. Anytime you turn on the radio or the television or pick up a magazine or surf the internet, beware. If you engage either in work or school or neighbors, the local population in this particular part of the country, you will have to sort through a great variety of deceived Christians because they're all around us. We are in what they call the Bible Belt, but they have left the Bible for all sorts of different replacements. And you're going to run into them at work you're going to run into them wherever you go. And some of them will be some of the nicest people you'll ever ever meet. But it doesn't matter how nice they are. It doesn't matter if you can recall Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 through 11. Right. If they are a bosom buddy, or if they are someone that you love as your own soul. Right. right. Your hand should be first upon them. Right. To mark them for departing, from the truth of God, as you were able to read in Deuteronomy 13. Certain men and women, even in and around the church at Rome, were to be marked and avoided. And those are the words I want you to remember from verse 17, mark and avoid. If if anyone varies or creates divisions or offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, what Paul had taught them by this epistle, what they had been taught by other apostolic influence, they were to hold fast and not move away from it. Any effort to split churches or get a following would be called a division, and it was condemned. Any activity, public or private, contrary to established doctrine or practice, would be called an offense, and it was condemned. Marking a person is identifying them by name and any other designation necessary to point out exactly who we are talking about. Notice in this text, it doesn't say what. It's not heresy that's being identified. It's heretics that are being identified. For Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses and avoid them. We are dealing with people here. It's inherently personal. For it involves individuals and their names, their roles, and their offices. So it's going to be personal. They're going to object to it. Others will complain about it and accuse us of various things, but it's personal. It's not a personal vendetta. They aren't the issue as much as it is the truth, but we are supposed to start with them because they are the mouthpiece for the error that we want to avoid. Marking of heretics and heresies, and I hope you have this clear, it is amazing to me how few people know what the word heretic means. I had another email this morning. Wanting to know why I use the word heretic. Heretic does not mean a person is going to hell. Right. Heretic means a person doesn't believe the truth. It is that simple. A heretic is someone who doesn't believe the truth, who doesn't preach the truth, who doesn't practice the truth. It has no bearing at all on whether they're going to heaven or hell. Right. Judas Iscariot preached the truth so effectively, so fruitfully... So well that Peter, James, and John thought that they were more likely to to betray the Lord Jesus Christ at the Last Supper than Judas Iscariot. But he's in hell. There are others like the Galatians that were on their way to heaven, and like the Corinthians that were on their way to heaven that were guilty of divisions and offenses contrary to the gospel. They were going to heaven, but they were heretics. A heretic doesn't mean we're we're not telling anyone that they're going to hell. They're just not preaching the truth. They're not believing the truth. And so I want to make that clear. When we mark heretics and we mark their heresies, we're not saying anyone's going to hell because of that particular marking. It's not the amount of truth that a person believes that determines whether they're going to heaven or hell. And yet when I make this explanation about the word heretic, it doesn't provide any more justification for allowing their company around us. It doesn't matter who they are or where they're going. Only the Lord has the book of life. We don't have it. So what we measure people by is the truth. People that don't understand that word think that we're sending people to hell and that we're just picking people and naming them, that their names aren't in the book of life and they're going to hell because we use the word heretic and that isn't our intent and that isn't the meaning of the word. We're just saying they're not worshiping according to truth and therefore their worship is unacceptable and therefore God is not happy with them. I don't care where they're going. Right. And that's what that's all we're saying. When a minister marks and avoids or a church member exposes a heretic, accusations will follow. A minister that marks men outside the church is going to be called egotistical, unloving or a dictator. A minister that marks men, excludes heretics in the church, is going to be called fearful, can't, a, can't handle a little bit of competition, or he's going to be called a dictator again. For reasons that are primarily pride, rebellion, and sedition, heretics think that they have a right to be heard in the church. That is absolutely not the case. And I will have more to say about that today. I don't care if you come and ask politely. If you're going to teach or preach or talk about or discuss or question anything that is contrary to what's been taught to this church for a long period of time, forget it. Never were you going going to allow that. It is amazing how stupid people are and what they think the church is. We are not Plymouth Brethren and we're not a house church and we don't sit around and discuss what the truth might be, and then vote on it. Even in either informally or formally, God has spoken. That's the truth. It's written in the Bible and we have taught it. And until we are faced with a tsunami of evidence, which the ditch diggers or the weekend warriors that want to get up and tell the church, and they're unable to even find a tsunami, we're not going to change. A tsunami of evidence to get us to change a position that we practice must completely address every verse in the Bible about that subject in a positive way. And it has to completely answer and correct every verse and every position that we took in the past regarding that subject. It is a two-edged sword, this tsunami that we require. And I use that word because I want you to get it in your minds unless there is an overwhelming tidal wave coming at us that thoroughly answers every objection, every question, thoroughly replaces every argument that we've used in the past. It is insufficient to change. Because it is change that sounds the death knell of churches. We don't change. But we have as a church. And I love that about our church. We have changed. We've changed some pretty big things over the years. We used to wash feet. It was a sacred cow for certain people. We did it as an ordinance. We attached it to the Lord's Supper. And we blew it out the door because it's unscriptural. It's ridiculous. It's wrong. We got rid of it. You know, we used to have a 365 day rule for anyone that was excluded from our church, that that was the measure of repentance from an incorrect understanding of first and second Corinthians and their relationship to each other. We, that went by the wayside. And there are other things as well. We will change, but we're not going to change without a tsunami of evidence. You say, was there a tsunami of evidence for changing foot washing? Go home and type into our little magnifying glass on our website, foot washing, and see the document there and see if it's not overwhelming. Thank you, Lord, for overwhelming us and that we were able to change. And Lord, you know, you heard just in a prayer moments ago that if there's something else that we're doing that is incorrect, show us and we'll change that too. I look, you know, if the Lord wants to give us six faces of salvation, it'll be a pleasure to have a burning of the five and we've got to have that attitude. That The day we slip from that kind of an attitude, we are in trouble. We want to be as humble as we can possibly be, and what we might consider just about one of the best blessings God's given us in rightly dividing the word of truth, if He's got a different way to divide it, bring it on, Lord. Please, don't let us hold to something just because we've held to it for a long time and used it to our profit. Paul appealed... Well, before I say that, it's usually pride, rebellion, and sedition that cause heretics to think that they deserve a hearing. Pride, rebellion against authority, and sedition. They want to overthrow authority and get a following for themselves. That's why they want to be heard in the church. Every member, especially older men, every member, especially older men, should be ready to publicly silence or privately silence such arrogant fools. I'm thankful in the last opportunity that you had that the church did the responding and I didn't even respond to a letter that was sent to the members of the church by a member raising four points of heresy and that they were no longer going to be members with us. I didn't even answer the parties because the men of this church did such a wonderful job. I was greatly blessed, encouraged Strengthened and humored and amused by your able ability to do it. Because it's a church matter. This is not a pastoral epistle. This is, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Now marking heretics is a corporate action of the whole church when it gets to the level of public knowledge. Paul appealed to the members here of either one church or multiple churches, and the evidence is multiple churches in Rome. But the formal action of exclusion is always by the pastor. You know, the pastor doesn't exclude and the church doesn't exclude. The church and the pastor do it together under his direction. We should all be vigilant. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.4 is not a pastoral epistle, and it says, warn them that are unruly. When someone's getting out of line, every church member should warn them. And if every church did this, we would not have such ignorant churches, nor church members getting stronger and stronger in their aberrant doctrines or, or heresies because they would have been checked and corrected earlier on by church members. Pastors lead churches through a process of admonition, then rejection. A heretic after the first and second admonition should be rejected. rejected, Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. If they're church members, a lack of repentance will bring their exclusion for heresies or variants, because they're varying from the doctrine that we've been taught. If they're not church members and they're outside our church, then they're simply named and their heresies identified for the protection of those in the church. You know, it's a fact of church history that many published works were rebuttals against some man by name. If you have not read the works of God's ministers of the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries in particular, many of those works were because they were attacked and they responded with a rebuttal in public by printing an answer by name of who they were going against. So that if you wanted to, You could get the book written by the first man that started the fight, and you could get the book written by the second man answering the fight. Many of the works of John Gill and Samuel Richardson and other men of that era were responses by name to individual heretics. You know, here's a horrible question for you. Who will be the next one in our church to be marked and avoided? Should they be marked now? Is it you? Is it me? I don't know of anyone, and I'm not playing any games. I just want us to ask and think about how serious it is. You know, the Apostle Paul was so blunt and so direct about this matter of heresy that he said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8 that if I, Paul, if I, Paul, were to preach anything different than what you have heard, let me be accursed. You say, well, couldn't Paul change? No, it was once delivered to the saints. And we are to earnestly contend for it. And that is one sober expression by the apostle when he includes himself along with angels that they shouldn't be listened to. Okay, in verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Doctrine is not a difficult word. It simply means teaching or a body of teaching. And in this case, it's the body of teaching that makes up Bible Christianity. That word doctrine, don't be, all it means is teaching. Don't get confused by the word doctrine. Contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, contrary to the teaching which ye have heard is how we want to measure everyone. We are not fundamentalists. There are fundamentalists in our city of Greenville. A fundamentalist is someone who has picked usually a very limited number of points of doctrine that they require you to agree with them on in order to have fellowship, and everything else can go by the wayside, and we can agree to disagree. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that everything that is taught in the Bible is sufficient to divide over. Some of the most amazing passages of Scripture, and I've, I know this is old news, but I hope that you'll hear it and remember it, In 2 Thessalonians 3.6, when the apostle says to withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, is it adultery? Is it bestiality? Is it sorcery? Is it witchcraft? Or is it a work ethic? It's a work ethic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when the apostle says, we have no such custom among the churches of the Gentiles, what is he talking about? Is he talking about idolatry? Is he talking about murder? Or is he talking about hair length? Hair length. We don't say that there's these five things or these ten things that we have to agree on and we will allow you to differ on everything else. We hold everything the Bible teaches. Prophecy is one of those areas where... People will say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe on prophecy because it's not necessary for salvation. Well, see, we don't believe that there's any point of truth that is necessary for salvation, so we don't even understand their ridiculous argument. If that is the case, then abusing the Lord's Supper doesn't have anything to do with salvation either, so that God was wrong in judging the Corinthians and killing them for their abuse of the Lord's Supper. But that's how they reason. If it doesn't pertain to the doctrine of salvation and getting people saved, then it doesn't matter what you believe. Where do we take our stand? We take our stand on Matthew chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, along with the two examples I gave you, and more could be raised, where the Lord Jesus Christ said, "...those that are great in the kingdom of heaven worry about the least of His commandments. And those that are least in the kingdom of heaven don't worry about the least of His commandments." And if our righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we are not going to heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. We care about every point of doctrine. I hope that you're familiar with that verse, though I didn't turn you to it. Holding fast to the faithful word is of utmost importance to all of us. Let's first of all start with a minister. Look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, this is a pastoral epistle written to pastors. There's three of them in your Bible. First and second, Timothy and Titus. They are not general epistles. They were written to individual men who were ministers, ordained by the Apostle Paul, trained by the Apostle Paul, and charged by the Apostle Paul in 13 chapters dedicated to the ministry. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, this is a character trait of ministers. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You know, if he doesn't hold fast the faithful word, then he won't have sound doctrine. And if he doesn't have sound doctrine, then it's not going to be very effective at converting those who hold the contrary position. Holding fast. Now, we use the word fast in a different way, and so I want to remind you again that this fast is fastened. Holding fastened, not letting go. Not fast in the sense of speed or movement or quickness, but holding fast. Holding it fastened, not letting it go. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Now, I've been provoked in my career as your pastor by ministers who told me that I was no longer holding fast the faithful word as I had been taught because we changed foot washing from the primitive Baptist men that ordained me and taught me. So they accused me of not holding fast the faithful word as I had been taught. So what do you think my answer was from this text? It wasn't the faithful word. It was your word and PB tradition. So... Using, your use of Titus 1, nine against me doesn't mean a thing to me. Right. Because all I'm supposed to hold fast is the faithful word. I love the word of God that if they'll read every word of it, it's very comforting and yet it's very convicting. I am not going to change anything without a tsunami of evidence. Only God knows how long I labored on the subject of foot washing. I don't change in a hurry. And so if you get disturbed with me sometimes... That I don't change very fast. Well, there's reasons for it. And I don't want you to change very fast either. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We want to hold fast in this church. Meaning, hold it fastened. Not letting it go. Attached to us. Not letting it slip or slide. And some of these are Bible concepts as it defines the word fast. Verse 23. It's describing a character trait of those that are saved. These are the redeemed of God. If ye continue, Colossians 1.23, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Wow. So you mean the truth is grounded? It's got a foundation and it is settled? It doesn't change? It's not moving? It's there? It's there once for all? Yes, it is. How did it get in that condition of being grounded and settled? By us? By 500 years of Baptist church history? No, and no. By the apostles. They're the foundation of the church. They are the foundation. The prophets and apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ are the foundation of the church. Let me say it again. The prophets and apostles, Ephesians chapter 2, are the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Amen. But the foundation grounded and settled of the truth is by apostolic tradition and the apostles preaching and teaching and their epistles. So, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So it's apostolic doctrine that you're not supposed to move away from. It says not to be moved away from it, and you're supposed to continue in that faith that's been grounded and settled by the apostles putting it in writing. It is settled, it is signed, it is sealed, and it's been delivered. Right. Once delivered to the saints. I, I love the... It's simple. There are no changes to the gospel. There are no changes to the truth. There are no improvements. Right. Any variation from what the apostles taught is not an improvement. Right. It's destructive. Right. It's a corruption. It's a perversion, and those are Bible words to the truth. We will not change positions on any subject, like I have said, without a tsunami of positive evidence for the new position and complete correction and explanation for every argument of the old position. Is that loud and clear? Has it been repeated enough? I hope so. We have to keep in memory what's been taught to us. Do you remember what happened to the church at Corinth? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Tony taught me this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Evangelist Tony, Tony the Evangelist. For those of you who are wondering what your pastor is talking about, it's a little animation under Bible topics, under salvation, on our website. Tony the Evangelist used this text Open my eyes. That is an exaggeration. First Corinthians 15.2 By which also ye are saved. Now verse 1, we need to know what it's talking about because it says by which. Verse 1, moreover brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. This is that Paul that we just read about in Colossians one twenty three, that we just read about in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 by which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. I preached apostolic truth to you Corinthians. You received it. You're standing in it. You were baptized in it. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. These Corinthian people had forgotten everything Paul had taught so that, Teachers had risen in the church at Corinth that were denying the resurrection of the dead. That is hard to imagine. And so we have this lengthy chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 with 58 verses in it dedicated to one subject, the resurrection of the body. Teachers had come up in the church at Corinth while Paul was still alive, just a few years after he had been at Corinth, They had forgotten what Paul had taught about the resurrection of the body so that these other teachers came along and said, there is no resurrection of the body. And so Paul just takes them apart point by point by point throughout this 15th chapter. How can that possibly happen in a few years' time? How can a person that swears in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ before this church that they agree with everything that we teach 3 months later be sowing preterism among some of you in 3 months we're all capable of incredible things right. and so we want to pray for the grace of God to hold us like's been prayed today and we want to keep praying that way we are wild by nature we're subject to change by nature When you read Acts chapter 17, and it says of the Athenians that they love nothing better than to hear some new thing, guess what? You know, we're all open to that. And Lord, save us from it. And that's why we're taking the time to preach through these verses. The Lord has brought us to these verses because everyone around us is changing. The changes around us are legion. And they're powerful and weighty. And they're being received with great enthusiasm. It's shocking. But that's the danger that's around us. And so we start by keeping in memory. It is hard for me to believe that in just a few months, a few years, this church had forgotten about the resurrection of the body. So the teachers could get up in the pulpit and preach against the resurrection of the body. Verse 12. If you don't believe, look at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, I mean, that's what Paul preached to them. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? How in the world can that take place? I preached there was a resurrection of the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Right. We have to keep it in memory. When we read Psalm 119, verses 98 through 100, where God's commandments are able to make us wiser than our enemies, Wiser than our teachers and wiser's, wiser than the ancients. It says in all three places because they are ever with Me. Right. What are ever with us? God's, God's commandments. His Word is ever with us. And so we stick to that Word. Did Solomon ever have anything to say in the book of Proverbs about retaining? Did he say anything about tying binding it to your finger? You know, he's... I'm offended by that. I'm offended that Solomon would treat me like a kindergartner. That I have to take a note to my teacher with a pin to my clothes or a string tied around my finger. But that's how King Solomon talked to all of us. Because if we don't remember what we've been taught, it's all worthless. Paul warned, look at Hebrews chapter 2, about this slipping and sliding away. Paul warned about it while he was still alive while Paul was still alive, you would think that while Paul was alive, it would be like Joshua and the elders of Joshua's generation in the book of Joshua and Judges that they were faithful while Joshua was alive. Couldn't they be faithful while Paul was alive? They couldn't be. So he's constantly warning and he's constantly testifying that they were slipping away like the Corinthians. Hebrews chapter 2, listen, starting at verse 1. I mean, chapter 1 is... Powerful. It's just jam-packed full of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ being superior to the angels. And so after those 14 verses, we have a therefore. Therefore, because of the glory of chapter 1's 14 verses about Jesus Christ, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So every one of you needs to give earnest heed to the things that are taught from this pulpit and all the efforts that are made through the week. We have lengthy services on Sunday where the emphasis is on preaching and teaching. We have a Wednesday night service. You have Proverbs sent to you. You have updates sent to you. You have a preparatory sent to you because we want to take heed and be faithful. And the way that it's done is by a lot of Scripture being pushed at us, explained to us, and and us encouraged to memorize it, learn it, and hold it fast. We, We do not want to let these things slip that we have heard. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, that's the Old Testament. Angels came down on Mount Sinai and delivered the Old Testament. It says that in numerous places in the Bible, including the New Testament, other than this passage. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward... How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? Those are the apostles. We don't want to let these things slip. No wonder Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 12. It's just a few pages over. Hebrew James 1 and 2 Peter we're at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Wherefore Peter saying, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though ye know them and be established in the present truth. It doesn't matter that you know them. It doesn't matter that you're established in them. I will not be negligent to always be reminding you of these things. Because if I don't always remind you of these things they will slip from your memory and you will be subject to false teachers on as crazy of doctrines as there is no resurrection of the dead. Verse 13, Yea, I think it meet, it is appropriate and fitting, as long as I am in this tabernacle, that means his earthly body before he dies, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me remember that from John 21 moreover i will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance i am going to teach them so repetitively that you will have them in remembrance even when i'm gone i hope there's a little bit of apostolic wisdom to your pastor's madness that passage is very helpful we want to fulfill our Purpose as a church is the pillar and ground of the truth. So we emphasize a lot of Bible preaching, teaching, scripture in, in assemblies, out of assemblies. We're not going to put up with any variations. Do you know what Micaiah was told? Do you remember who Micaiah was? He was the prophet of Jehovah when Jehoshaphat and Ahab sat on thrones beside each other. And Jehoshaphat said, before I go to battle with you, King Ahab, I'd like to hear a word from the Lord. And so Ahab brought his 400 false prophets in. And they all said that, go out there, Ahab, you're going to tear him to pieces. Oh, and they they had, do you remember they had? They had horns. I want you to think about it. They were like contemporary churches. They were having skits. (laughs) Remember, he put the horns on, he got down on his hands and knees, and he went around, and he was, you're just going to go up there and push them around with these horns. And Jehoshaphat said, "Uh, do you have any more? Preachers, these 400 don't interest me. And Ahab said, well, there's one, but I don't like him because he never says anything good about me. And I have him in prison right now on bread and water. Well, go get him. The man that went to get him said, the ministerial association has just preached with one voice. They are entirely united. They are all agreed that Ahab's going to go out and have a successful battle. Now, you keep that in mind when you get out there and say something because it better agree with them. And he said, I don't care what that ministerial association said. I'm going to say what the Lord told me to say. Amen. And do you know what the Lord told him to say? Ahab got an earful. Remember, he lied to him? Anyway, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the examples that we have in the Bible. We are not going to put up with any variation against God's word, no matter if everyone agrees together against us. It's going to get closer to that for those of you that are younger. Some of us may die before we actually see that happen, but some of you are probably going to see something similar to that. Everyone is going to disagree with what we practice and believe at this church. Everyone. God didn't care about the ministerial association in Jeremiah chapter 23. He said, what is the chaff to the wheat? Amen. He that hath a dream, let him tell his little dream. But he that hath my word, let him speak it faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? Right. Jesus had no respect for the ministerial association. He said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed their righteousness, you won't even get into heaven. Matthew five nineteen and 20. Paul had no respect for the ministerial association because he said they don't know anything. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. I've read it to you recently. I'm not going to read it to you again right now. How does apostolic doctrine get to you? This doctrine that we're not supposed to vary from, how does it get to you? Do you believe God is sovereign? Amen. Did Jesus Christ give gifts? That's right. Does the Spirit reveal truth to men? Yep. Does prayer work? Yes. If you combine those four things, pray for your pastor that the Holy Spirit will open his eyes to behold wondrous things out of his law Submit to the gift that God gave him by the office and responsibility that he has to preach the Word and trust the sovereignty of God until he says, rub Buddha's belly. Or until he says, God didn't know what he created. For those of you that are beyond the age of 13, forgive me for sending that little clip out yesterday. But you know, we have a church that is very skewed to youth and children, and I wanted them to see something ridiculous that even they could perceive was a real idiot in the pulpit. Amen. That's how we get truth to us. We trust the sovereignty of God, and He's been very merciful to us. The Bible evidence is extensive in both testaments to trust God's properly called ministers. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8, they went to Ezra and said, Ezra, we want to hear the word of God. And they gathered the whole city together in the street that was before the water gate. And they stood there in their place, the men, women, and the children with understanding. And Ezra got up there with some men on his left hand, some on his right hand. And they read in the word, in the book, in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's how it's taken place from the beginning. In the beginning, it was patriarchal religion. Every man was his own priest for his own family. And God would speak to that man like an Abraham, like a Noah. And then at Mount Sinai, it was given over to the priests to be the teachers. It was no longer patriarchal religion. We do believe in dispensations, by the way. Three of them. From Adam to Moses. And where do we get this from? Romans chapter 5, verse 14. From Adam to Moses was patriarchal worship. From Moses to John the Baptist and Jesus Christ was was the law of Moses and the Old Testament. And then since that time, it's the new covenant and the New Testament of Jesus Christ. So it was patriarchal religion where God would speak to Noah and God would speak to Abraham and they would inform their families of what God wanted them to do. Then it was the priests that did the teaching and the Levites that did the teaching in Israel for 1,500 years. And then it's bishops, pastors, and teachers that are to study God's word and declare it to you. Since we have recently been in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7 where it says that you are to seek the law at his mouth. And I spent some time on that text, I will not spend very much time on it now, except to remind you that the phrase man of God occurs 72 times in the Bible. How many times does it refer to fathers? None. How many times does it refer to mothers? None. How many times does it refer to angels? Twice. What does it refer to every single other time? an ordained prophet or pastor of God. The reason I'm saying that is because of 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is primarily a manual for the man of God to preach to his people. It's not for the people to go home and think that they're going to come up with something new. And that is an error of our times. It is a charismatic error because like I tried to point out briefly on Wednesday evening, they think they have the Holy Spirit with apostolic gifts to know the truth by getting a word of wisdom or by getting a word of knowledge. Even though Paul said in 1 Corinthians thirteen eight through 10 that that wisdom and that knowledge and that gift of prophecy were going away because we have the perfect gift of prophecy in writing. (coughs) It's more sure than God's voice from heaven. I have hopefully said enough on that. Be thankful for the ox that diligently applies his ability in the word under God's favor. Where there is no ox, the crib is bare. Where there is no pastor, the people are like children without a father and a mother. Right, They're like a flock of sheep without a shepherd. So be thankful and pray. Pray for your pastor that God will open his eyes to behold wondrous things out of God's law and that he will exercise his gift and encourage him toward that. That the apostles were intent about this matter. Remember in Acts chapter 6? They, they found themselves being engaged in too much business, taking care of the widow's tables, so they said, we've got to get some deacons in this church that will take care of this business. Right. Because pastors shouldn't be involved in business. They should be involved in two things. The Word of God and prayer. Right. And then a church benefits. If we don't follow the right procedure that we've just learned from this verse, Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. If we don't mark and avoid like we should, then we're going to fall into the next verse. And we're not going to be the true servants of Jesus Christ. We're going to be belly worshippers because we're following men. We're following what's comfortable. We're following what tickles our ears. We're following something that's interesting and new. Instead of following the word of God, because it says in verse 18, For they that are such, those that bring divisions and offenses in the churches of Jesus Christ serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what they say. We don't know whether their names are in the book of life or not. We don't know their hearts any more than we knew the heart of than the other apostles knew the heart of Judas. They are not servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ right. made it this simple. If you're not for me, you're against me. It's that simple. If you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not holding to apostolic doctrine, if you're not holding to the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're coming up with something new, no matter how innocent you think it is, you're against me. Because I taught my apostles and told them to teach you all things whatsoever I had commanded them. You have varied from my religion. And my religion requires you to worship in spirit and in truth for those are the ones the Father seeks to worship Him. Do you know what your church and pastor believe? Do you know what your church and pastor believes and preaches on most any or all subjects? Have we made that a secret in our church? Do we have maybe? Maybe the most detailed website of any church or religious organization in the world? Does it have a search function? Do you have email? The pastor will not tolerate unlearned questions. He will not tolerate vanity or fables because he's told not to. He will not tolerate striving about words to no profit. But if you have a question, will you get an answer? you will get an answer. You'll get a thorough answer. You'll get a biblical answer. And you'll get an answer with some links showing you that we've always believed that. That He's never giving you an answer on the run that's just He created at the moment in order to get you off His back. Because we have a website that shows you what we believe. A church's website should be designed, and ours is, for members to find answers to questions quite easily. That is one reason why we have the extensive website that we do. For every sermon that is preached in this pulpit, is there an outline... Is it something more than the than the five and a half by eight and a half piece of paper that they hand out at Brookwood with five sentences where you fill in the blank with a pen that they provide that says Brookwood on it? Is it more thorough than that? Yes. that that's what all pastors do, don't you know? They hand out a little half. It's a half piece of paper. It's five and a half by eight and a half, and it's got five questions on it. It's got a blank in each line, and so you get to pay close attention to see if you can figure out to fill in five blanks while you go through the 20-minute the sermonette. Now, this is single-spaced and it's sentences all the way across. This is for Romans 16, 17, and 18. There's eight pages. And I'm no hero. I'm just an ox. An ox can't get too proud. Just a big, fat creature. But you know, you can go to the website... And within 24 hours of this ending, you can read to your heart's content exactly what we believe about the ministry, about true doctrine, about the the apostles, about them teaching about the verses that I've given you. You don't have to wonder what verse did he use? You can go get it and along with its brothers and sisters. And I am nothing. Do you know why I do all that? Knowing that most of you don't go read the outlines. I am hoping for someday... And sooner than later, that there will be some zealous men that can stand on my shoulders and use all my grunt work. And I love to tell anyone, whether they're 25 years old and in Nigeria or anyone, I am their slave. In those words. And that's why I sit in my office all day and create these so that we can know, you can know, we can remember, and we can have thorough reasons for what we believe. Right. The Lord has been very good to us. Amen. He has shown us so many things and we want to hold it fast. We want to keep it in memory. We do not want to slip away from it or be moved away from it. We want to earnestly contend for it. And so we have Romans sixteen seventeen. And when we come back from our break, we will take up the 18th verse. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word to His people in His church on His day from His Word. Amen.